Thank you. It's really strange coming and standing behind my friend's pulpit. Um, so a few of us in the building this morning, we're just pinching ourselves, thinking this can't be, this can't be happening, can it really? And I'm sure you at home uh, are feeling the same. Thirty years ago, Dave, um, we were I was in Bible college with Dave. Thirty years ago, Dave's always been well built. Um, like with the football team, the rugby team, you wanted Dave on your team because he would take him out, you know, the enemy, the other Bible college. Um, and uh, you were all right, you know, if the enemy was coming against you, Dave, he sort them out, Dave would step up, I'll take him. And um, you always want me, Dave, on your side. And Dave's been taking the enemy, the enemy of the soul of people's lives for years been defeating uh, um, the things that break people. It's bringing, been bringing healing and uh, compassion to people's lives for over 30 years. And it's an honor uh, to stand uh, uh, behind this pulpit of my friend. Um, bizarrely, um, my personal devotional blog every morning uh, turned uh, last Sunday uh, into chapter 11 of John. I started John just before Christmas. And uh, uh, these last few days, um, I've just been writing every morning as I do. And it's the story of Lazarus. And uh, I, I want to speak about that this morning. And uh, I, I want to try and answer the question, uh, how do we respond when life is not kind to you? When bad things happen, when life's not fair, when it's just rubbish, when things break down, when things fall apart, and when things get sick, and when things die, uh, how, how, do, how do you respond to that? Lazarus was the brother of Martha and, and Mary, a lovely um, family. Uh, I've enjoyed being with the, the siblings of Dave this week. All very, very different. Um, apart from Peter, looks like just, just like Dave, like, it's like, whoa, this is strange. But all very different characters, and Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were very, very different. But they had, they had a bond of love as a family unit. And they had a home, and that home—I don't know how it happened—but that home became Jesus' home. And he would go into the home every time he came near Jerusalem or around. It was in Bethany, and every time he entered anywhere near, he would go there. Why? Because it was a place where you could. Just take off your shoes, put your slippers on, just lay back and just be normal. And it was, uh, they provide bed, provide food, shelter. It was his place. And it was a place where Martha would do all the running around and, oh, Jesus is coming, you know, I've got to bake a cake. And um, Mary would say, oh, stop, it's just Jesus. Let's just sit, let's just sit and listen to what he has to say. You know, and I'm not sure what Lazarus was doing. Um, but as a man, probably not much. Um, but 
uh, in, in that environment, and actually John says that Mary was the, even to stress, just to stress how homely and how uh, the, the personal relationships that, that, that these three had, uh, John says, you know, the Mary, it's the Mary that, that uh, uh, took down her hair and, and wept on, on Jesus' feet. That's, that's the Mary, folks. John says that. And into that context of that home where there's intimacy and discipleship and relationships and friendships and love, and it's just wonderful. John starts off chapter 11, Lazarus was sick. And then later on, verses later, it says Lazarus is dead. Within four days, their life is changed. Four days. Landscapes change in four days. Everything can be turned upside down in four days. Your plans ripped up within four days. Jesus only took three days to change the world. When God doesn't do what is blatantly obvious, that if we were God, we would do this, and it's so easy for you to do it. How do you respond when he doesn't do that? On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And from our Earth's perspective, what we see often is, is only the negative, it's only the pain. We see the sickness and the death and we see the grave. That's all we see and that's all we understand and that's all we can think about. How do we respond? I want to encourage you today that how we respond is that we must rise to a higher and greater perspective than the most. It's the key. You see, from heaven's perspective, it's also very, very different than what we are seeing. This story of Lazarus is full of hidden kingdom principles that we need to dive into and discover. It's not solely about the fact that Jesus raises, heals a man, raises a man from the dead. If, if, it, if it was all about that, then it doesn't last very long because Lazarus does eventually die, and so do we. So it can't be just that. Some random miracle that actually just pleases a family for some more years. It's more than that. Let me share with you what I think our response should be. When bad things happen, when this kind of thing takes place, firstly, we're from a heaven's perspective, it is about God's glory and God's Son. In verse 4, John writes that Jesus said, it is for God's glory that Lazarus has died. 
so that God's Son may be glorified. This word glory, there can be a whole series on that, can't it? But the glory is the weight and the heaviness of the presence of God that is manifest and seen. In the context here of Lazarus in John 11, it was definitely about proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And the cross, which was very, very close now in time, the cross on which he would glorify God the Father on. It's about that. It was this miracle which meant that Jesus had to go into hiding. It was this miracle that meant all his opponents ramped up their desire to get rid of Jesus. This miracle took Jesus to the cross. Though difficult perhaps to understand, the cross of Christ is the glory of God. For those who belong to God, earth's pain is heaven's glory. Now when it's your pain, your personal pain, when it's your cross, you often don't feel or experience the glory. It doesn't feel glorious. But others do. Others see the glory of God on your life when you're going through the bad day. They see the presence of God in you. So when I'm in the hospital with Dave's wife, I'm seeing her strength. I'm seeing God's strength through her. I'm seeing the presence of God on the boy's life and on her life. They probably don't feel it, probably don't see it themselves, but we see it. The story tells us later how Mary ran to the feet of Jesus in total surrender to the situation. She falls at the feet of Jesus and she is just weeping because of her brother. Surrounding her are her friends and they're supporting her and they're weeping with her. And their cry moves Jesus deeply and, and John says that Jesus is not just moved deeply, he's troubled. And then that shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He wept and he's troubled. In fact, the word is angry. Why? I believe it's because at that moment in time, he realizes the power that death has over people's lives. The power of death that in a short while he would take on and he would overcome and he would ride victorious all over to strip the power and the strength and the pain of death that reduces a person 
to nothing because there's no hope. He takes that on and he vanquishes it and he rides victorious over it and he removes the sting out of that death. That's why he's angry, because he sees that those who do not know heaven's perspective come under the fear and the power of death. But when you come from the perspective of heaven, you actually see that Jesus has ridden right over that power of death. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He weeps. He doesn't say anything. He just stands, Jesus just stands, and tears fall down his cheek, moved by their grief. His anger at the power of death drives him forward to the greatest battle in heaven and earth that has ever been and ever will be, and he goes there with determination. I am going to take that on because this is not going to happen ever again. Julia, the boys, Derby City Church, you are displaying right now to the world around you the glory of God in Christ Jesus. The presence of God, you may not see it, feel it because of the pain, but the presence of God is all over your life. Why? Because death has been defeated. Realizing that actually, Pastor Dave is not dead at all. Second thing about heaven's perspective is this. It's knowing that we are loved and we are a friend of God. John says um, in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved all three of them. In verse 11, Jesus says, we're going to our friend Lazarus. He needs us. One of the earliest songs I remember in, in churches, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Some battle all their life trying to find love and friendship. Doing life knowing that you are loved and a friend of God is another dimension to those who search for it in all kinds of disappointing desires. Knowing that whatever happens to you, this never changes. Doesn't matter what the world throws at me, this never changes. I am loved and I'm a friend of God. That helps you to get through the most darkest of days. Lazarus is a friend of Jesus and Lazarus is our friend. Jesus said, our friend, Lazarus. Now I'm pretty sure that the disciples weren't that too friendly with Lazarus. They'd have probably said, well, it's not our friend, it's your friend. No, 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 it's our friend. He's our friend. He has a community of friendship and we're going to find the churches right across the world building community of friendships so this next year. The thing about Jesus and friendship is this, is that Jesus never leaves his friends alone. He's always connected to them. He always stays connected in some way. He never speaks of them in the past tense. 
like it's over. With Jesus, his friends are always alive. Some people only call you friend as long as it's going okay. And you're not my friend now. Lazarus was finished. Lazarus' life was over, but Jesus says he's my friend. And you know, no, no, Jesus, you mean, you mean he was your friend? No. He is my friend. You see, from heaven's perspective, there are not two worlds. There's not heaven and earth. There's just one space. Two rooms. And Dave is very much alive. He's as much a friend of Jesus now as he was when he walked on earth. Their relationship was stronger than what was trying to divide them. And this death of Dave's life here on earth has never divided him from his friendship with Jesus. The third thing, the final thing to say is this. Not only is this terrible day that we have at times, not only is that about God's glory and about God's son, not only is it about knowing that we're loved and we're a friend of God, it's about understanding the language of heaven. In verse 11 he says, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has, has, has um, fallen asleep. Isn't that lovely? Has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. We've already heard the Psalm 3. And if ever, I've never heard of anything quite like this. If ever a pastor would get up on his last sermon and reference things in the Bible that only hours later would start him on a journey to heaven. Quite frankly, God was all over this place last Sunday morning. I lie down and sleep. Dave lay down and slept. But I wake again. We prayed all week, Lord, wake him up. Wake up, Dave. Wake him up. And the un God answered that prayer. And Dave definitely woke up, but in another room. The Apostle Paul understood this. You and I, we've got to understand this more and more. The Apostle Paul got it. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And for those in Christ, the language is asleep. It's not death. Death is final, and it never happens for those who are in Christ. It's a kingdom principle. Paul wrote in Philippians 3 verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. We have a citizenship higher, greater than a national one. The powerful truth 
of our eternal citizenship is seen in how we live this out. A few years ago, I met a rape survivor of over 60 rapes on the east side of the DRC. I was listening to her story when I asked the question, where was God in your life throughout all of your terrible season? She said to me this, God was with me in every rape. The enemy of my soul has taken everything from me. My husband is gone, just embarrassed by what's happened to me. He's taken my children away. All my plans and all my future is gone here. But one thing that the enemy will never take from me is my eternity. That day, tears were on my cheeks. It's the language of heaven, you see. What can the enemy do when you declare that your citizenship is in heaven, your home is in heaven, that you are going there whenever that happens, it's going to be fine. It will be very inconvenient. I will never be able to put it in the diary, but it's going to be fine and I'll be home in heaven. What can the enemy do to you when you start speaking that kind of language? He can't give you a bad day. The enemy may think he has taken everything, but he cannot destroy you. You always live forever because of Jesus Christ who saved you on the cross when he defeated everything that needed to be defeated. You may die, but you will live. You fall asleep, he wakens you. So you lose your pastor and your friend, but you will see him again. You lose your dad, but you will see him again. You lose your husband, but you will see him again. It's the language of heaven. It's the citizenship of heaven. It is the hidden kingdom principles that belong to you and that belong to me. Dave glorified God in his life and when he breathed his last. Dave was loved by God, a friend of God. And Dave spoke the language of heaven and he hands the baton to you and this church continues to live 